Vancouver Housing Stories is a podcast mini-series. Special thanks to Vivo Media Arts Centre and the BC Arts Council, as well as the Vancouver Tenants Union, for their support. This episode is called Alienation and Search for Home. This episode looks into the isolation tenants face while living in this city. First up, Victoria Spooner relays the benefits and obstacles of trying to live with a pet in British Columbia. She talks to some aspirational pet owners, as well as Pets OKBC OK organizer Elliot Galan about what it means when tenants are unable to live with a four-legged family member. Afterwards, Yijia Zhang presents her soundscape composition that takes a sensory journey through the daunting and labor-intensive task of finding a new apartment. And also, do you have a pet yet? No. I would like to get a dog one day, yeah. I've always liked to get a dog. And the dog would do you good? The dog would do you really good. This is Angela, and she is a psychic intuitive medium. I had this reading from her in 2018 on the day after the winter solstice, which felt like an auspicious time for an activity such as this. While I didn't need a psychic to tell me that getting a dog would be good for me, what she said really hit home. She helped me understand the longing for companionship I'd been feeling for a while. I sat down at my computer and waited for her Skype call. My emotions were a whirlpool of excitement and apprehension and homesickness. That last feeling is one I've become very familiar with over recent years. I moved by myself from London to Vancouver in 2012 with a one-year visa, my bass guitar and the hope and optimism of someone who knows they're about to enter a new chapter of their life. I've lived in four different cohabitation situations in the first five years of being in the city, which, while common for Vancouver, is a lot of moving around. By the time I had my reading with Angela, I'd been living alone for almost a year and having my own space was something that I really needed and wanted to do. When I get homesick, I think a lot about that saying, home is a feeling, not a place. I try really hard to create that feeling in my 600 square feet in East Vancouver. Living alone has been so liberating, empowering, and has allowed me the freedom to gain some clarity about my life. But like Angela pointed out, Living alone can feel, well, lonely at times. Now, this isn't the kind of loneliness that can be cured by a cheeky pint or a phone call with a friend because when you come back from the pub or put the phone down, the empty physical space is still there. This loneliness is about companionship, family, stability and responsibility. I often consider what it would be like to get a pet how wonderful it would be to open the door to a friendly furry face every evening and how that might help with the loneliness. But then I remember that when I signed my lease, my building manager pointed out the no pets clause in my tenancy agreement right next to where it said no waterbeds, shattering not one but two of my dreams in the process. Vancouver was recently listed in the top 10 cities in the world for people with dogs. However, it lost substantial points because there's so few rentals that will allow pets. Mm -hmm. So there's certainly an irony there. My name is Elliot Galan. Should I spell it? I'm the co-founder and primary organizer with Pets OKBC, as well as the co-chair of the steering committee of Vancouver Tenants Union. Pets OKBC started as an advocacy group to support 
pet owners across the province, um, we advocate to follow the Ontario model, which gives renters the right to have pets fundamentally. Landlords are not allowed to uh, impose unreasonable restrictions. Um, it doesn't mean they don't try to do that, but certainly it's a much better approach than in BC, which just gives landlords uh, impunity and free reign to restrict and uh, prohibit pets of any kind. As Elliot explains, the kind of restriction is common amongst renters in Vancouver. I signed my lease anyway, moved in and was so relieved that my search for a place was over, I didn't even think to ask why we weren't allowed to have pets. I just assumed the same reasons as Matt Johnston, a fellow dog lover whose building also restricts the ownership of pets. They were clear it was, it was written into the lease. Uh, did they give reasons? No. Mm-hmm. Uh, my presumption is there's a, a cost or a risk associated with pets that the landlord doesn't want to take on. What are the reasons why so many building managers and landlords restrict pet ownership? What really are the risks to them and their business if they allow their tenants to have an animal? It seems as though assumptions are made that animals are a risk and overlooks all of the positives that pets bring. According to Pets OKBC, people with pets will stay over two and a half times longer in their rental than non-pet owners. This is likely because they know how hard it is to find pet-friendly rentals and because they have another living being to be responsible for. I had a friend a long time ago who had cats and he didn't take care of them very well and these cats were sort of let free to do what, as they pleased and they peed on the, 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 the baseboards of the house and, and the whole house smelled like cat urine. Yeah. And it wasn't just the, the apartment, it was like in the hallway and, and neighboring. So, I mean, there is good... I understand landlord's position is is that there's a big investment there and and pets are potentially a risk. Mm -hmm. Um, That's why we have damage deposits, though. Statistically, pet owners cause no more damage than non-pet owners in rentals. Uh, However, it's just a, I I feel, an unfair stigma that's attached to animals. Because, yes, of course, animals have claws and they can scratch things and bite things and make noise but what do you think humans do and and people light carpets on fire people light carpets on fire exactly (laughs) humans cause far more damage than a cat or a dog ever could so generally i try to put it in those terms speaking directly from the experience of pet friendly landlords we all know that housing is becoming more and more commodified and financialized and so I, I see that as one of the primary causes for uh, pet owners having an even harder time finding a place to live because now investors don't want uh, any damage whatsoever caused to their precious new property. A lot of the housing that should be available to renters is just not available. And of those that are, are not available to pet owners. I conduct a quick search on Craigslist for a one-bedroom apartment, adding on a few hundred dollars to my rental cost just to increase the options. I search all of the greater Vancouver area, including the suburbs. I find 1,621 apartments available to rent with these parameters. When I select the Cats OK filter, immediately the options shrink to 224. When I select the Dogs OK filter, Only 157 apartments are available. And with both selected, only 142. 
At a glance, it looks as though most of these apartments are not in Vancouver proper, so I shrink the local area to Vancouver only, not including North Van, Burnaby, Surrey, Richmond and beyond. The number of apartments available that would allow me to have either a dog or a cat right now in Vancouver is only 57. When I decrease the maximum rent amount down to what I pay now, the number of options also decreases to 12. Now, this is by no means a thorough investigation of the rental market, but I think it gives a really good idea of how restrictive it is to find a place to rent that would allow me to get or keep a pet. I wonder how other people are approaching this. So we're in the West End, which is a, it's sort of a, it's not as community driven as some other neighborhoods in the city. And, and that's something we always sort of really wanted. And so we were, you know, more eager to be moving out to commercial drive area or, or something like that, where we could, where A, we knew some people and there was, there was some opportunity to, to build on that existing community. Uh, but as time went on, it became harder and harder to find a place. And, you know, we looked at some places. I really resonate with what Matt's saying here. In order to have a pet, my choice would be to move further out of the city, therefore isolating myself from my communities, or creating a financial burden by paying more rent. We always wanted to be able to have a second room so we could have an office or we could expand our family uh, or have a pet. Uh, and that has not, you know, it's, it's either been too difficult to find or, you know, the, the, the risk of leaving a sort of rent-controlled environment that we're in for market prices is very risky. So why is having a pet so important to people? Despite my going on about wanting a dog, I've never actually had my own pets. The closest I ever came was when an ex-boyfriend brought home a new Doberman puppy just a few months after we got together. I really liked him and so knew I'd have to love this dog as well. Not being used to dogs, I really made a concerted effort to bond with Luna the puppy and she made it very easy. She was wonderful. I remember the day she learned how to bark and completely scared herself and how she would sleep on the bed with me even when he wasn't there with both pairs of her legs stretched out, sort of spooning me and shuffling closer every time I tried to move away. People who don't have pets might not know that that, that relationship is as, at least as, as uh, strong and connecting as, as a family relationship yeah. or a loved one. Yeah. There's no question about that. We got the, we picked out this chocolate lab. He was uh, so wrinkly, you couldn't like even imagine how wrinkly he was. We didn't know that what that meant is that he had all that skin to grow into, and he turned out to be a hundred pound uh, lab, beautiful dog, uh, so like well tempered and loyal, and he l lit up my family's life for you know twelve years. Um, we'd never had dogs in the house, but. Uh, the whole family fell in love with dogs. That's what you do. Dogs capture your heart. Uh, what was it like to go out with a dog? Oh, I loved it. You always had a companion. They were always happy to see you. Um, they made you feel safe. Yeah, it was like it's having a best friend that's always there. My first dog was called Toby. Okay. He was a black and white Labrador mix. Aww. And really nice. 
Toby didn't <laughs> have a lot of issues because <laughs> he wasn't really trained. Yeah. Um, but he was really protective over me. He was really silly. He would escape. One time he ate, he escaped and he went through the garbage and he ate his entire, like someone's spaghetti leftovers. Oh my God. <laughs> and he came back and his, his stomach was all distended and he literally just lied there groaning. Oh. And then he... We knew what it was because he got sick and we saw all the spaghetti. Oh, no. and I was like, I was like, well, no wonder, dummy. Oh, we would you you bond with the dog and then you go away and the dog misses you. Yeah. And and that's I mean the dogs miss you. Yeah. And when you come back, they're so excited. excited. Yeah. And I, we always joke. It's like they they don't really know where you've gone, so it's like you've come back from the dead. Yeah. Right. That's how yeah. excited they are. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're in a bad mood yeah. or in a good mood or they're just happy to see you. Tell me about, you know, the things that the dogs have given to your life. They just teach me how to live in the moment. You just move on. You had a fight, you don't like somebody, or if I leave the room, I come back. Oh, hi, you're back. I'm so happy to see you. It doesn't really matter, but five seconds ago when I peed on your floor, you got mad at me. <laughs> and so that's, that, I think that's the best thing, to live in the moment, enjoy the now, I don't know, my father-in-law used to always say it's not life isn't about quantity, it's about quality. And you can see that in your in your dog. In a recent article in Megaphone magazine entitled Dogs of the Downtown East Side, several dog owners were interviewed about the importance of the dogs in their lives. Many of the quotes included mentions of how the dogs felt like family. Stan, who is the owner of a Shih Tzu named Taz, says, I got him as a rescue when he was five. He means the world to me. I've no family left, so he's everything. Karzna and Lisa Marie, who own a three-year-old Maltese, says that she helps with their PTSD. Jamie testifies to the effectiveness of pets in building community. I came and went from my hometown and realized walking around alone doesn't give people the benefit of getting to know you but the dogs worked. They're human magnets. His dogs are both Border Collie, Pitbull, Boxer, Sharpe mixes named Cranky and Jada, which is a Haida word meaning daughter. You know, having a dog and, and walking around in the neighborhood is an incredibly good way to meet people. Uh, it is so incredibly powerful to walk down the street and have people acknowledge you. Uh, and that often isn't the case. You can walk down the street and, and pass by people and never be acknowledged. Uh, but if you have a dog, the likelihood of, of you becoming being acknowledged is is much much higher. They they bring uh, people together in in really important ways. Yeah, I and agree. And this is a city. This is a city that's beset by loneliness. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So, you know, not only do dogs bring that comfort themselves, but they also bring people together. Yeah. How powerful is that? For all these reasons and more, I know a dog would be a wonderful addition to my life. But as I'm learning, there are others who have a much deeper need for a pet who are unfairly affected by the rental restrictions around keeping an animal. For mental health too, like having a, a companion, having a companion animal, like I know that uh, I didn't choose to live with a cat, but my roommate has one. And I know that those days where um, I'm feeling blue, just literally having another living being in my vicinity is great. Yeah. Um, and I know people have been actually prescribed animal therapy or time yeah. with a pet as a way to deal with depression. Yeah. Um, I guess that's another, another aspect of... 
I got about all the kids in the street who have their dogs with them. You know, for those people, there's only one person or animal or thing in the world who's ne never going to leave their side. And that's the dog, you know, and, and they, you know, they may have had parents or, or other people abandon them over time and they may have that history of abandonment um, but they know that dog is never going to leave them and that's uh that's really profound you know i, I believe in uh seeing things intersectionally and so while this isn't uh you know discrimination against pet owners isn't uh oppression per se it does certainly feel oppressive and discriminative the more i learn about this issue the more i start to see how elitism and class divide plays a role there's already the barrier of the limited number of pet-friendly rentals available, and then pile on top of that the fact that those that are available are not particularly affordable. It's clear that those people in our city who are more at risk and therefore more in need of a furry companion are the ones feeling the effects of these restrictions more than anyone else. Safety is also a concern. In January 2018, CBC posted an article that revealed how these restrictions directly affect the safety of women in abusive relationships. Only eight of the 450 women's shelters across Canada accept pets. If there's not a safe place to flee to that will also welcome their pet, many women will endure the abuse even longer, perhaps fearing for the safety of their animal, because the research does show a correlation between spousal and animal abuse. Vancouver is often touted as one of the most livable cities in the world, but for who? Whether someone can keep a pet or not is arguably pretty low down on the list of priorities when it comes to making Vancouver an accessible place to live. But what is a home if it doesn't include family, whatever that looks like to you? I recently read a story about a veteran who was keeping a service dog for help with PTSD. William Webb served in Afghanistan and his service dog, Jesse, was certified in Manitoba. They now live in BC, but in 2016, rules changed so that only two organisations were given the authority to license service dogs in the province, meaning that Jesse's Manitoba licence was no longer automatically recognised. The upshot of this is that William, who now lives on a pension, has to have Jesse's licence renewed every two years, costing $350 each time. It seems unfair that those who already have pets are up against so many barriers to finding safe and affordable housing because they want to keep their family together or because of mental or physical health needs. According to the BCSPCA, around 1,700 pets are delivered to them every year as a result of housing-related issues. So what provinces are doing it right? Ontario used to have the same approach as BC does now uh, up until about 1990. There was a senior who, uh, whose landlord forced her to get rid of her dog, Fluffy, and she refused. Um, she took it to court. Uh, ultimately, she lost at the Ontario Supreme Court, but it caused such a stir amongst Ontarians that uh, eventually the attorney general at the time uh, took it upon himself to push legislation through that would give renters the right to have pets. And it was a, a fairly long battle, but they accomplished it. In contrast to Ontario, BC allows property owners and strata corporations to impose blanket no pet restrictions. It's clear through the response of BC residents that people are invested in challenging and changing this framework. 
the Rental Housing Task Force is a group of three MLAs, two NDP and one Green, uh, who were put together by the uh, provincial government, namely the housing minister, Selena Robinson, to investigate what needs to uh, change for the Residential Tenancy Act to be more fair and just. So when the uh, task force came to Vancouver, lots and lots of people who are with pets or wanting pets showed up because they knew that this was their chance to be heard. It is on the on people's minds. Uh, the, the two main issues from my point of view are rent control and pets. If, if we want an affordable life in BC or anywhere else for that matter, as renters, we need good rent control. Uh, and secondly, if we want to enjoy our lives, you know, this doesn't apply to everyone, but over half of Canadians enjoy the company of animals. And uh, certainly we have a right to do so. The restrictions around pet ownership are part of a bigger issue of the housing crisis in Vancouver. With properties sitting empty in some of the most desired locations and the rate of homelessness rising every year, the struggle against pet ownership restrictions are but one part of a bigger whole. But an important part, one that is intrinsically linked to creating a happy home, something we all desire. If your landlord uh, was forced to change the tune because there was some like enshrinement of people's pet rights, uh-huh. um, would it be like a, in a heartbeat kind of situation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we would we would assess our living situation to make sure we had enough time, but but beyond that, yeah, we would we would I'm sure. I ride my bike to work past a dog park every day, and I I I, I look on on with jealousy and uh, and desire for for that companionship for sure. If you would like to help in the process of changing the rules around tenancy and pet ownership in BC, visit petsok.ca to find out how you can take action. My psychic, Angela, said that I should get this dog within the next two years, so I've got about 18 months left. Meanwhile, I'm going to borrow my friend's dogs when I can. I know a Labradoodle named Sula and an Australian Shepherd called Gowan, and I've been told I can take them on walks whenever I want. So until I find a more permanent solution, I'll be hanging out with those guys. I'm a dog calling home, crawling back and be alone. I'm a dog calling home, crawling back and be alone. I'm a dog calling home, crawling back and be alone. I'm a dog calling home, crawling back and be alone. Welcome to Vancouver Housing Stories. I'm Helena Crobath. Um, I have Sydney Ball with me again from the Vancouver Tenants Union, one of the steering committee members who knows a lot about housing policy, and um, she's going to comment on some of the policy mentioned in the piece. Welcome, Sydney. Uh, hey. Um, so in the last piece, we heard Elliot talk about the Rental Housing Task Force, um, and in December 2018, the Rental Housing Task Force presented its final report, which included 23 recommendations to amend the Residential Tenancy Act. And that's the act which governs tenancy law in BC. Despite receiving submissions from a lot of tenant advocates and groups like the Vancouver Tenants Union, the report failed to move on either of the fronts Elliot mentioned. The report recommended against vacancy control, a kind of rent control that would regulate the amount a landlord could raise rent in between tenancies, 
Actually, it was the only recommendation in the report that got printed in bold. Ouch. The report also acknowledged that they heard from many renters who want to change the laws that allow landlords to ban tenants from having pets. It's also important to notice that even when tenants are allowed pets in BC in apartments, they're often subject to providing a secondary pet deposit on top of their regular damage deposit when they move into an apartment. The report says that, quote, the task force was not persuaded that requiring all rental housing providers to allow pets would be fair for landlords or for renters who wanted or needed to live in pet-free buildings. The report also did not suggest any other changes to the Residential Tenancy Act that would relax these laws or result in more rental providers allowing pets. Thanks, Sydney. We'll look forward to talking to you again on the next episode. The piece we're about to hear is Yijia Zhang's My Night Shift After Work, which used sound and narration to illustrate how long commutes and housing conditions add to an unmanageable amount of household labor. A long workday is incredibly more tiring when it ends with a long commute. The fact that workers in trades and services and professions cannot live near where they work means that their families lose time and energy. This is directly because of policies around real estate and rental housing. It's obvious that clearing a whole zone for luxury-priced housing is not sustainable. This is 7.40. My work in Burnaby finishes at 6. Google Maps says that it takes less than an hour to take transit back to where I live right now. The extra time I take on a daily basis is actually twice the hour Google Maps is. Recently, my partner and I planned to move to another place to get closer to where we work. That's how I get this unpaid job of house hunting every night. My day job ends at 6, and my night job of house hunting starts at 8. Brand new two bed, two baths, plus one den at Capilano Residences, North Vancouver, 3200. Beautiful bright one bed plus one den can be used as second bedroom. 2350. Beautiful single family house completely renovated. In West Richmond, 2,900. Executive homes in ground pool and hot tub furnished or unfurnished. Three bedroom, Latna, 3,000. Living in Gastown Studios, downtown. 
The piece we just heard was Yi Jia Zhang's soundscape composition called My Night Shift After Work. Tune in next time for episode 4, which also explores the theme of companionship, this time through the lens of community. We hear stories of new families and old families, first exploring family housing access in Vancouver, and second, the case of seniors who have worked to create community for themselves in Hastings Sunrise and are facing dislocation. <laughs>